You know, today's message is going to be, I, I told you last week we're going to start a new series called God's Will is Whatever. God reminded me that, you know, we can be doing all the right things and still be wrong. You know, if we don't lay a firm foundation, if our lives aren't anchored on the rock, then our whatever is wrong. See, our theme verse for, for this is, is Colossians 3.17, but I want to read 12 through 17 for you. And it will be up on the screen behind me. Um, it says, Since God chose you to be holy people, he loves you. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as a member of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. So how do we know if our whatever is the right thing? And that's kind of the direction we're headed this morning. Because if we're not careful, we can believe I can do whatever I want, because that's what it says is whatever. But Paul warns us and says, you say I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. See, God does put some conditions in place for this whatever that we're talking about. God has put some conditions in place and says, your whatever has to be about someone else, not about you. Not about making your life comfortable. Not about you living how you want to live. Because again, remember, I've said this before, and, and you're going to hear it until you're sick of hearing it. God never said, way to show up Sunday morning. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He didn't say, way to show up for your Bible study. We want, well done, because you were closer to me. See, we have to be anchored on a rock. And so let's think about it this way. I, I went kind of extreme on you to get you to understand what I'm talking about here. Okay? Say I run out of money before I run out of month. That ever happened to anybody? You just run out of money before month ends? Okay? Now, I'm at church or I'm in my prayer time and God's saying I'm supposed to give to the poor. I got nothing. Like I said, I already told you, I ran out of money. I got no money. Now, God has told me to do this. So can I justify the fact, say, okay, God told me I need to give to the poor, so I'm going to take and I'm going to go rob a store. <laughs> whatever. That's my whatever. God told me to do it. See, it's kind of that Robin Hood mentality, ain't it? The ends justify the means. Is that whatever? Seeking God? No. No, it's not. I can get, and I want to give you another one just real quick. 
say my family needs me. Or say someone else needs me. And I just need to go sit with them and I need to talk with them. But I have an opportunity to go to a trans, go see Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Okay, amazing concert. I have an opportunity to go to that. And I say, I'm going to get encouraged. They play good Christmas songs. They sing about Jesus in their songs. So it got to be good, right? Was my whatever the right thing? There was nothing wrong with the concert, but God had asked me to do this. See, our whatever gets confused when we think it's about what we want and not what God's calling us to do. So we have to make sure that the whatever we're doing isn't just some flippant thing we're doing because it looks good. We want to make sure that whatever we're doing is where God's leading us to go. So that's really where this series is going to go, is we're going to journey to our whatever and watch God lead the direction. Now, as Rob Ketterling says, you know, you want to you wanna see God move, get moving, and he'll nudge you in the right direction. But I guarantee if you're running towards sin, he's going to smack you upside your head to turn you around. That's what he does. But if I'm chasing after him and I'm a little bit off, all he got to do is just give me a little bit of nudge. See, because none of us have this all figured out. None of us are right all the time. Not even me. In fact, I think I was wrong this morning. So when I, when I start journeying after God and I let God start steer, steering my direction, See, we're going to learn to start chasing after Jesus, not chasing after opportunities. Too many of us are looking for the next thing because the grass is always greener on the other side, isn't it? So we look for the next opportunity. But God never said that. God said, stand still, don't just do something. Know that I am God. Spend time with me. Because guess what's going to happen to that green grass? you eventually going to have to mow it and throw manure on it to keep it green. You're eventually going to have to work it. See, it all starts, everything we do, everything we're about, everything we're going, all starts here with spending time with Jesus. All ministry is done and birthed out of spending time with Jesus. See, the vision we have for our church the reason we want to lead people to a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ is we know He changes things. And that was birthed out of five days of prayer. It wasn't something that we just made up that sounded good. I truly believe Jesus changes lives because He changed mine. Argue with the Bible. Go ahead. But you cannot argue with what He's done in my life. You can try, but you lose because it's my life. And so you, have, you all have the same story. People can argue with the Bible. They can argue about things, but they cannot argue with what God has done for you. Okay? So today, today's message is entitled just that. It all starts here. And we're going to turn to Isaiah 6 this morning. And we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to see, and we're going to look at really five C's of transformation that Jesus brings that are shown to us in this, in this story of Isaiah. Y'all there? I believe it's up here too, so just in case. Um, it was the year of King Uzziah. 
died and I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over, I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew over to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am. Send me. So dear Heavenly Father, as we just come in and we see your word come to life in our lives, God, this morning, let your Holy Spirit just fall on each one of us individually and let us hear from you this morning. Let us not miss what you're trying to tell us and let us surrender to that as you prompt us this morning. Because God, more than anything else, we just want to draw closer to you. So God, thank you for what you're doing in each individual heart this morning and what you're going to do. Because I believe you're going to do miracles in lives this morning. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I want to, uh, I want to start off this morning with the, looking at the statement that was made in here. It says that the, that the seraphim were praising and they were worshiping God, right? So they're cruising around again. Don't ask me about uh, This is just what I, Isaiah saw. They were praising God. They were worshiping the Lord of heaven's armies. And the temple foundations are shaken. Everything, the entire building was filled with the glory cloud of the Lord. Okay? I mean, that, that is something I, I would, you know, maybe I just haven't pressed in enough, but I would love to see that, just the glory cloud of the Lord just fall. I heard some stories this weekend of some, some stuff that God's done in people's lives and in different situations, and I'm like, you know, I, I think of the story where Moses and, and the, the smoke covers the mountain and everybody steps back and they're like, no, no, Moses, you go. We want to stay back here. Everyone had the chance to walk into the glory of God and they all were too afraid to. Why? Because they, didn't, they couldn't admit, and this is just my theory, it doesn't say it in the Bible, they couldn't admit they had sin. See, Moses knew he was a broken man. That's why God used him. See, we got to understand we're broken people. And when we can admit it, God can heal it. God can't heal it if we don't admit it. And so we start off and we see everything being shaken and the very presence of God is there. And there was another instant as I was reading through that and praying over that that popped into my head. And again, this is where my weird mind goes when I'm thinking about things. There's, there's another story in the Bible that's significant of trembling and shaking of the foundation of the temple. And I think sometimes we, we try to separate Scripture apart. And we got to realize it's one story of God. It's one story of the Father sending His Son to die for us. The whole Bible, all 66 books, are all one story of Jesus Christ and who He is. I loved it this weekend because one of our speakers was um, teaching out of Revelation. And he said, it's not revelations. It's not plural. And it's not end times. It's revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And so the whole book from Genesis where he's cruising around, it says he spoke and the world came into existence through his word, which is Jesus Christ. He's at the beginning, he's at the end, he's in every book of the Bible if you're willing to look for it. It's all about Jesus. And so when I read Matthew 27, 51, it's all about the crucifixion time and Jesus says, it is finished. And what happens is an earthquake comes. It shakes the foundation of the temple and it tears the veil from top to bottom. What both of those instances jumped out to me and really, really got me excited about for you guys and for me was that both of these stories are an invitation from the Father to enter into a personal relationship with Him. Jesus came, our God came down and filled the temple to meet with His people. In, in Matthew, the, the veil was torn so we could enter in to his presence. And, and so everything God is doing, everything from the beginning of Scripture, everything that's happening is God making a way for us to come back and be in a relationship with him. Everything he does. Now, if you go back to Cain and Abel, and remember the, the story with that and what happens, God came down in the middle of the day after all this happened and said, hey, where's your brother? See, God had always never, he never left. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, he never stepped away from them. Now, we do have times, as we read the story again, of not admitting we made a mistake. See, too often we, our pride won't let us admit that we're broken, that we need help, that we need someone else, that we can't do all this on our own. And so we hang on to our stupid pride and God says, I can't help you. I've made a way. But you have to admit it. You have to admit that what's going on is wrong. See, the relationship the Father wants to have with you is real. It is relevant. And it is life-changing. But we have to be willing to step in. See, there's moments in our lives, too, that that will totally mess with us. There's, there's, <laughs> there's shaken moments that totally mess with us. And the first one I'm just going to admit was when I really met Jesus, my world was rocked. Because I understood when I looked at that cross and what he went through and the beating he took and everything that happened was for my stupidness. Was for me. See, when we really meet Jesus, everything we think we believe is rocked to its core because we understand what real love is and who real love is. The second one is you are all going to have faith-shaking moments in your life. You're all going to have moments that are going to happen that are going to challenge everything you believe. If it hasn't happened yet, I'm warning you now. Why does God do that? I wrote a statement down this week that I really like, and I'm thinking it's going to turn into another message. If you're not living in tension, you're not living intentional. See, to grow muscle, we have to add tension to it, don't we? To grow my faith, my faith has to live in tension. It has to be under some type of load to challenge it to grow. 
And so we are all going to hit those faith-shaking moments because both of those moments are an opportunity to enter into a deeper relationship with the Father. See, it's, in, it's an invitation from the Father to draw closer to Him. That's all He wants from His children. It says in Scripture, He's not far from any of us. It says draw near to God because He is drawn near to you. See, it's, God's never moved. It's us that have moved from God. It says if they'll just reach out, they can touch me. See, some of you this morning, all you got to do is reach out and he's right there. But do you have the faith to do it? And then it says, if you have the faith to do it, do you believe it's going to happen? You have not because you ask not. He said, but when you ask, ask with faith, knowing that you're going to receive it. So this morning, as we get through this a little bit later, some of y'all, that's what you need to do, is just say, God, I need to be nearer to you. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to be nearer to you. God, I need forgiveness and, and help in this hurt because I can't heal it on my own. And guess what he says? That's exactly where I am, and I can heal you. I did. See, this morning, like I said, I'm going to touch on five, th five C's that happen when we accept the invitation to a deeper relationship with God. Let me pull up that scripture again that I was reading. I'm going to have to put it up on my phone. Give me just a second. Okay. The first thing we see in this story, as, as we just went through the, the, the verses 1 through 4, talk about the shaking of the foundation. Again, that's the first thing that happens when we come to God, when we come to know Jesus. It shakes and rocks our world. It changes who we think we are, or should change who we think we are. Because Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new name. When you come to me, the old has passed away, all things have become new. But the next thing that happens, and I think some of us need to get here, is verse 5. And he says, Then I said, It's all over. I am doomed. I am a sinful man. See, when we come face to face with God, we get convicted. See, when Jesus steps into your life, he brings to light everything wrong in your life. That stinks, don't it? Just saying, none of us like it. He says, it's all over, I'm doomed. We're convicted, but the beauty of it is you're not condemned. They are not the same thing. See, when sentencing is passed down of a guilty verdict in a court of law, does it ever say you're convicted of death? No, it says you're condemned to death. You're condemned to six years. You've been convicted of your sin, but Jesus Christ took your condemnation and paid the price. See, you're convicted, but not condemned. Some of y'all got to stop beating yourself up for things you've done wrong and realize that, guess what? Jesus said, no, you're not responsible for that. I paid a price. I paid the ultimate price. I gave my life. See, 1 Peter 2.24 says, He personally carried your sins in His body on the cross so that you can be dead to sin and live for what is right. And then he quotes 
Isaiah and says, by his wounds you are healed. How many of y'all need some healing this morning from past wounds? Okay, all of you put your hands up, please. I can't pray for lion too. We all have things we've hung on to. I don't care who we are. I was talking with somebody this week earlier. I got brought up something I did 30 years ago as, I, as I'm dreaming. And I woke up and I said, seriously? I did that and actually it's like 32 years ago. See, the enemy knows where to mess with us. But it says, by his wounds, we are healed, not my goodness. We're convicted. Jesus said, when you come face to face with me, I have covered your sins. You have been forgiven. So quit digging them up. Quit thinking you're the attorney. Quit thinking you're the judge. Some of us judge ourselves worse than God does. You ever notice that? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm all with Paul. Oh, what a wretched man am I. I am right on board with that one. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. See, stop. Don't just quote the, oh, what a wretched man am I. Continue on to what he said. But thanks, God, for sending your son. Because I do. I suck. Can I say that? I just did. The second C that happens is confession. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. When, I, when we feel conviction, we have two choices. You can either confess what you did or you can justify it. Too often we try to justify it. What's our favorite saying? Anybody know? Could be worse. At least I'm not doing that. How many ever said that? Or is that just me? First John 1 John 1.9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we don't have to justify it. We just have to confess it. We know it was wrong. We just got to admit it. Because then we can confess it. And once we've confessed it, and we, once we've been convicted of something we know is wrong and we confess that we know it's wrong, we are cleansed. Because the next thing we see in this story is we see this seraphim going to the altar of God and grabbing a coal and flying over and touching his lips and saying what? Your sins are forgiven. You've been made clean. Isaiah 1.18 says it this way. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. See, that's what God, that's what Jesus has done for each one of us. He has taken our sins and made us right. He has made us clean. He has cleansed us. He has removed the guilt. And that's why I'm saying if there's some kind of hurt or some kind of thing you're hanging on to this morning, understand where you end, that's exactly where Jesus will meet you. But you got to get to end first. And stop justifying it. Because once we understand we're cleansed in God, once we understand that God makes all things new, we understand the fourth C is that we are changed. We have to let God work in us and change us before He can work through us. 
See, when we truly meet Jesus and we truly receive his forgiveness, we understand the statement he makes in Scripture of go and sin no more. When we understand we no longer do that, not because we can't, but because I prefer this relationship more, I'm changed. I'm transformed by the love that came from the cross. Galatians 2.20 says it this way, and I love it. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live for him because he gave himself for me. How many of y'all would love that this morning? See, it's not about, and there's a statement. I'm sorry, Christy and I were talking about it. And it's always just rubbed me the wrong way, and I finally figured out why. There's a statement that is, in concept, good. How many of y'all heard the statement, you be you? It's a cultural statement, societal statement we have right now. In concept, it's good. Don't worry about being judged by anybody else. In application, it's horrible. Because we're saying your life is all about what makes you happy. Galatians 2.20 just said, what? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but he lives in me. See, it's not you be you, it's you be like Jesus. It's a great, to me, excuse to justify bad behavior. And so I finally figured out why that statement rubbed me the wrong way. (laughs) Because we try to hang on to our old lives. We try to hang on to our old ways, and we try to move forward. Jesus called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we got to get stepping into his light and leave what's the past, the past. And the fifth C that happens as I can wrap this up this morning is once we're convicted, once we're cleansed, once we've confessed, and once we're changed, we become committed. Committed to his call. That's our whatever. It says, Who are we going to send? Who will go for us? And that's the cry he's made to each one of us. Who will I send to that job? Who will I send to that family? Who will I send to the grocery store today? Who will I send to the restaurant today? And my prayer is that every one of you is willing to say, here I am, send me. Because that's where our whatever, the rubber meets the road. Luke 10, 1 and 2 says, these were the instructions to them. Jesus is sending out his 72. Remember, these guys were nameless. It was just the 72 disciples. That's all we know about them. He says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. And what I love about that is if God sent you, it means he's coming. Got a cool statement, in it? If God sent you, it means he's coming. God has sent us to rice. It means what? He wants to show up. So we got to get ready for him. God has sent 
you to your jobs because he's coming. He wants to affect your job. God has sent you to your families. Why? Because he's coming and wants to make changes in your family. See, God has sent us because he's coming. Yes, he's coming back. But how many would prefer to have him not come back just yet? I'm ready. Okay, I'm getting old. I don't care. Jesus, come back. End it. I'm good. See, as a church and as followers of Jesus, we have to be careful and stop chasing those opportunities and start back chasing Jesus. Remember, God has always been pursuing you. He's never stopped chasing you. He's always made a way for us to come back to him. He has always wanted to come into a life-changing relationship with you. Those hurts you have that can't seem to heal, that's where Jesus steps in and says, I got you covered. So this morning, I want to give us all an opportunity to return to the foundation of Jesus Christ. To stop thinking, we have to work for the Father and accept the invitation to work with the Father. The beginning of our whatever starts with spending time with Jesus.